Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. This is Rebecca Kinnestrand, Daniel Dadashi's with me, and we are just here for a girl sesh. It's just the girls. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about spiritual but not religious, because hey, that's what this whole podcast is about. We're trying to reach out to those folks yeah. who maybe were in a religion and weren't enamored with it or were a bit traumatized by it, but still feel a spiritual life within them. There's an article I found on Vox, and it's called Spiritual But Not Religious, Inside America's Rapidly Growing Faith Group. There's been a lot of articles about this. Maybe you know more about people moving away from the church than I do. I don't know about more, but I probably know different stuff. Different stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's interesting. I wish I had looked this up, but we belong to the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And when our current bishop, Bishop Eaton, was elected. She was on the cover of, I believe, Newsweek, and the big uh, pull quote on the cover was uh, her quote about how she believes she's religious but not spiritual. Huh. And I'm just shocked it's a she. Right? When you said that, I was like, whoa, I had a man in my head. We're actually very lucky. We have our big church wife as a woman bishop, and our small little synod, which is the fancy church word for our regional area, also has a bishop who's a woman. So mm. we are very progressive. Yeah, very progressive yes. that way. Nice. Women and all that. Because it wasn't, we heard from Pastor Katie, it wasn't until like the 60s or something. That yeah, 70s that 70s. there were female pastors. Okay. And then you think about it, in order to become a bishop, you have to really make your mark as a pastor. So it's not like straight out of ordination. Come a long way, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. Um, but she talked a lot about a more intellectual religion and um, a little about how her faith life is really based in theological truths Mm. and not as many spiritual practices. And of course they pulled that quote, Mm. religious but not spiritual because it's eye-catching and the opposite of where the the country's moving. Yeah. But I think about that a lot, spiritual but not religious and or religious but not spiritual. spiritual. But religious to me means means those things that she's saying she doesn't believe in, like all the and stuff like that. Listen, I'm sure <laughs> if we read the article, she gave a very nuanced approach, right, and all they know. pulled and all I remember <laughs> is the headline. Is the headline. <laughs> hey, I used to write headlines for MSN.com way back in the day. So I you know how it's I done. I do, I do. It's terrible. Click here. Okay, so let me read a little bit about on this article, and like I said, you guys can find it on Fox.com. There's a survey out that profiled 2,000 American adults in 2017 and found out that 18% of Americans identify as spiritual but not religious. So 18%. 18%. That's a lot of people. That's huge. Is that the largest single group? group? No, it says, by contrast, 31% of Americans identify as neither spiritual nor religious. Okay. So they're the nuns. (laughs) I mean, N-O-N-E-S. Exactly. Right. Um, so this group of the spiritual but not religious tend to skew younger, mm-hmm. um, a bit more educated with college degrees and postgraduate education, that sort of thing, and liberal-ish. I say that because it isn't, you know, 
one way or the other, but 40% identify as liberal. I kind of think of that, that spiritual but not religious, as a almost the kind of Oprah followers. You know, she has her yeah. Super Soul Sunday, and right. she's, um, she's often talking about God, but using very general language. Right. Um, a lot of emphasis on meditation, on yoga, right. on... Gratitude. Yes. Gratefulness, that sort of thing. Spiritual practices without being tied to a particular religion. Spiritual practices without being tied to a weekly or bi-weekly worship. The study found that many spiritual but not religious Americans maintain a connection to some sort of organized faith tradition, even if they do not practice it regularly. So that makes me think of CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. Oh. <laughs> I <laughs> the, have not heard that one. The, the folks <laughs> who show up twice a year with their families, and they have a, it's interesting because here at our church where we see it, it's often people who feel a real connection with this place and really identify here. But throughout the rest of the year, they're on their own spiritual journey they're in their own spiritual practices. Or not. Or not. <laughs> and then they come here twice a year. They feel like they're part of the community. They feel mm -hmm. like they identify without necessarily saying they're religious. Or it's, it's, an, it's an interesting spectrum of how closely they identify with our yeah, and there's also, I mean, something about those holidays, though, that's just tradition. Um, some people may have really close ties with their family, others may, may not, but mm -hmm. having, having grown up with, well, what do you do on Christmas? What do you mm -hmm. do on Easter? And even when I was away, so when I had broken away from my family a bit and I was away at university and Easter Day would come and I'm like, well... I wanted to market. I had zero interest in going to a church per se, but mm -hmm. I was like, there's just something about this day that I want to do something like have a ham. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and when you're a grown up, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, yeah. adult, there's nothing else to the holiday really other than the spiritual aspect of it. I mean, as a college Family. kid, you're not going to hide an egg and go look for it. Right, right. That, you want someone else to do that for you. I know. Well, and that, that Sunday morning, that going to church, that dressing in your Easter best, and, yeah. and it's part of a tradition that I think a lot of people identify with who don't necessarily identify as religious. I went to this, speaking of that Easter I'm thinking of, I went to this outside in the park sort of service. Mm -hmm. And I was, I totally misinterpreted this guy was saying something like, if you, oh, the pastor said something about, well, if you feel the spirit moving through you, you know, stand or something. And I stood up because I was like, oh, I was happy to be there. It was a beautiful day. I was in oh, the park. No. But what he oh, kind of no. meant was, have you converted, right? <laughs> like now. Yeah. And the family next to me, so the service ended shortly after that. They came over and they were thinking I had had this religious conversion. It was an they, altar call. Right. And well, whatever that is, because I didn't know, because I'm totally not a part of the evangelical world. I just don't knew nothing about that. And I was like, oh, no, no, just, it's okay. <laughs> like, I just didn't know what to say. <laughs> you just meant like, oh, it's a great day. I feel, yeah, I feel, I feel God's so present. Yeah, so, yeah, something like that. I just was moved, right? But yeah, not converted. <laughs> And so it kind of goes the thing. I was I was, was spiritual, non-religious, right in go. that moment. I was like, I'm feeling very spiritual, but don't come at me with your religion, you know. Well, and I think 
religious holidays for spiritual but not religious, especially spiritual but not religious who have kids mm. who are coming to church on Christmas and Easter, it can be so intimidating when you're when you or your kids don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I see that on, you know, we, we had an Easter service and we were talking and we were, we did we had a prayer as a church. And then at the end, everyone said, amen. Mm-hmm. And this little girl, she must've been four. She turned to her mom and said, almonds? Why are we talking about almonds? And her mom was so embarrassed. She goes, shh, shh, you're letting everyone know we don't pray. <laughs> well, when recently, um, November 1st, St. James Cathedral in Seattle has mm-hmm. their Requiem Mass. Yeah. So they do Mozart's Requiem, and the entire cathedral fills up. We were there about an hour in advance, me and my husband. And, um, you know, it is a Mass. It's a Catholic Mass. <laughs> and in the program, everything is fine, although there is some standing, kneeling, sitting, whatever. They tell mm-hmm. you when to do it, because it's clear that not everybody there, they're there for the music. It's beautiful. Yeah. But clear that not everybody there is Catholic, but in the part where you go up to receive communion, they say in the bullet, in the thing, if you're not Catholic, you don't come up to the altar. And I, having been baptized Catholic and raised Catholic, but I no longer feel Catholic, I was like, I'm going up there. (laughs) They weren't specific. (laughs) They weren't specific. And actually, I think... Under the dogma, I would be able to because I once Catholic, you kind of always are. Well, you were baptized and confirmed Catholic. Baptized and confirmed. Okay. I had no idea what that was. Although you're a member of a Lutheran church at that point. Yeah. So, you know, this is what we're talking about. So, but my husband wasn't going to go. And Mm -hmm. so I, because he's Lutheran and I was like, I'm not going like, I'm yeah. not going to leave him feeling like... It, that's the whole point is, like, I don't want this... There's this dividing line suddenly. Mm-hmm. It was this beautiful, beautiful service, and it was, you know, it was a pretty nice sermon, actually, and everything. But then it comes to this point where it's like, you're in, he's out. Mm-hmm. They're here, they're not. And so people stand up and go, they're in. The people who are sitting, they're out. Yeah. It, it just was kind of ruined, that yeah. portion for me, for sure. You know, so my dad is Iranian, and he was raised Muslim, and then moved to this country and um, no longer practiced. And he went to the wedding of a close friend who was also Iranian and was marrying a Catholic girl. And they were they had a traditional Catholic mass ceremony, and they my my father had never been to any sort of Christian religious ceremony of any kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was raised in a Muslim country, raised Muslim, mm-hmm. no reference. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they had communion. Mm-hmm. And he did not understand what it was, so, um, but he, he followed along. Followed along, mm-hmm. and when he got up there, mm-hmm. the priest said, "No, you're not allowed." And my dad did not understand exactly why. Again, you're in the middle of this kind of high church ceremony. Did He's, he give like a blessing? Because usually they do that for like the non-Catholics. I don't know. Okay, my dad. All yeah. my dad would say was how embarrassing and humiliating it was, right? And how he saw exactly what it was like. And that one image carried through to his perception of all Christian churches. Mm. And he didn't feel comfortable coming to the church where I was baptized or confirmed, mm. where where I attend and where I work now, all because of this one moment. And I think a lot of people who are spiritual but not religious have some sort of affiliation of this, some moment, whether it was big and part of their entire childhood 
or small and one moment in adulthood where they just said, you know what, even if I see value in some of these things, mm-hmm. the, the the organization, the religion, the people are not for me. Oh my gosh, and it can vary so much. I mean, you know, I've been to hundreds and hundreds of different masses, even within the Catholic Church and, and outside, and there's one where you get a fire and brimstone preacher, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, and then the other one is totally like, hey, peace and love, everybody, peace out, and yeah, it, it really is so varied, but if, again, the one that was fire and brimstone, it happened to be in New York, and we were with my mom, and my husband and I went to the Catholic Mass because I was like, let's just go with mom. And it was fire and brimstone. And my husband's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I'm out of here. You know, I'm like, no yeah. way. You know, it's not all. But yeah, that one really was awful. <laughs> well, when you interact with Christianity all day, every day, yeah. one bad experience just washes away. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think that people who have bad exposures, not to other people, but like hearing, you know, if mm-hmm. they're washed in this sense of what they think is you know it's just hard to get rid of that oh yeah it's i try to keep it in mind especially here in the pacific northwest where um less than six percent of people are worshiping in any sort of faith community on a given week less than six percent and so i try to keep in mind that when people talk to me if they ask me what i do and Mm. i say i work at church (laughs) i might be the only christian or even religious person they talk to that they know of that oh, week, sure. or maybe even that month. Totally. And so I try to answer their questions as honestly and kindly as possible, even when they are not kindly spoken to me. Right. Because I'm aware that, like, I'm representing a huge group, and that is not fair. Right. But yeah, that's the reality of well, it. Well, and the voices, we've talked about this before, so the voices in Christianity can be very loud, you know, the ones that are more convicted or evangelical and those are the ones that people hear Mm -hmm. so they're going to associate you with that I'm very careful about who I talk to Mm -hmm. about these things and I have this podcast right now (laughs) and I don't mention it to that many people Mm -hmm. you know I feel like they're going to misinterpret because even if I say it's challenging Christianity you know the frame of reference isn't there to even understand what that means if I could get away with not talking about it, I probably would. Not that I'm proud of it. And you're like, what do you do, Danielle? I know, it comes up so often. And I think I told this on the podcast, but I I once, someone asked me what I did, and I said I worked for a church. And they said so quickly, um, oh, do they pay you in money or in thoughts and prayers? Yeah. And it's Mm. it's so fast. Yeah. And you have to respond with grace. Well, we're hopefully going to get Pastor Mary Allison here Mm -hmm. um, and have an episode on her experience in evangelicalism, and if that's the word, and um, religious trauma. So we can go into that a little bit more. I'm wondering how big a percentage of these spiritual but not religious are people who were raised in in a church where they had a poor experience, right? So it's a little different than kind of fading away, but what about people who found practices they liked within their religion, but the religion itself was traumatic in some way? Well, it's funny you ask. Oh! (laughs) Because in this survey on Fox, in this survey, they say the survey finds less overlap between Americans who are spiritual but not religious and those who are religiously unaffiliated than is often assumed. Mm. Notably, most Americans who are classified as spiritual but not religious still identify with a religious tradition, mm. even if they are less likely to attend services or say religion is important in their lives. To me, that that's the CEOs, the 
Christmas and Easter mm-hmm. only. Yeah, because they, they were in a religion, and it just didn't work out for mm-hmm. them for whatever reason. But they haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater, which was me for a very long time. And I would kind of keep towing in here and towing in there to be like, are you are you my people? <laughs> are you my people? And, yeah, it's it's hard to find. Yeah. A full 71% of spiritual Americans reported having been inspired or touched by listening to a piece of music in the mm. past week, compared to just 43% of non-spiritual respondents. So, in other words, um, they say what this suggests is that religious identity, religious observance, and spiritual experiences are three distinct categories, okay. which sometimes overlap but, overlap, but do not automatically track onto one another. So that was religious identity, Mm -hmm. the religious community participants see themselves as belonging to, religious observance, Mm -hmm. actually attending services or participating in religious life, and spiritual experiences. Now, I would say religious observance is kind of that part where we were talking about some people, and they have examples in here as well of certain people, you know, case studies essentially, um, who somebody is like, oh, I live in a, a... city apartment, I do plants and herbs, I clean with Dead Sea salt baths and that sort of thing. Another one works at a yoga studio and does meditation. This is very Oprah-esque. Very Oprah-esque. Um, Which I love. Thank but she's yoga. wary of the term spirituality. Mm. Instead, seeing her practices and rituals as a form of self-care. Um, Another big kind of buzzwordy for sure. experience right now. Self-care and spirituality. I think of them as very tied together, but I can... It's interesting that not only is religion having like a backlash, now just spirituality is having a backlash. Yeah, well, it got really broad. I mm-hmm. mean, if you're talking about taking a bath as a religious practice, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it can't be. It just it gets well, broad. Yeah, and maybe I just don't have a green thumb, but herbs doesn't also herbs. doesn't sound like a religious experience oh, either. But talk, talk to an herbalist about that one, oh, right? Gosh. Like it's okay. full on. Well, um, I'm more of a, you know, yeah. packaged foods kind of person. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, the whole herbalist world is quite, quite big. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then another one, she was gay and was mm-hmm. in a Lutheran, actually, Uh-oh. religion, and had a hard time, you know, coming out and feeling mm-hmm. like she was part of that community. Again, you know, we would say here... We would hope that she would feel really comfortable, but maybe mm-hmm. in her, everything is different. Every town you go to, Every, it changes. Everything's different everywhere. We just had a um, a, col- a college student give a sermon here where she talked about uh, coming out as part of our congregation and how safe and loved and affirmed she felt and how she looked up when she was 12 how our church hmm thought about gay people and mm-hmm. looked on the website and looked for pictures and saw pictures of our church marching in a gay pride parade mm-hmm. and how that colored her entire view of sexuality and church from mm-hmm. this young age. But you think, you know, if we didn't have that picture there, if we didn't talk about it on our website, how would, would she have been nervous? Right. Would she have seen a reflection of, of that love? Right. Yeah. Hard to tell. Probably not. Back to the study, it said one thing many of the interview subjects had in common was a desire for community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so common among, especially young people. 
Yeah, and it says that their solitary ritual practices hadn't been able to give them that. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past, about, mm -hmm. oh, people come together now over their activities, mm -hmm. yoga or their meditation or their climbing or what, hiking or whatever your thing is. Yeah. It can be those things come and go, and it can be isolating to do them alone. And yeah, you just I'm, don't have the solid. I'm a huge proponent of meditation. I love meditating. I meditate every day. I think it's an amazing spiritual practice, but it's definitely not a substitute for any sort of community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It I, isn't a community. No, it's, it's the opposite. <laughs> you're, you're not even allowed to keep company with yourself. Your brain's supposed to turn off. You're not allowed even in your own <laughs> It's real lonely. Um, oh, and I, I think a lot of, I see a lot of these spiritual practices as good in addition to a faith life because it does lack that community. It does lack that support of people who care about you and support of people who don't necessarily know you and yet they care about you. And I think that's an important distinction. There's you to have to have a whole group of people who you know are cheering for you, not because of what you've done or how great you are, but because they care about you and you're part of their community, you're mm -hmm. part of their tribe, you're part of their people. There's something special about that that you can't get anywhere else. You didn't earn it, it just is there. Yeah. It's hard to be um, have that constant, intrinsic, internal motivation. I was just talking at a Halloween party, actually, to this person who had a rough year, and he's kind of changing. He was in um, a situation where his work was really solitary, and then he lost his partner and all of these things. Anyway, I, having been at home with my kids for so long, I'm back at work, and I love working, and part of what I love working why I love working is because I have external, external, what is it, confirmation? Or mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, I do something and somebody will say, hey, you did that at the least, or good job on that, or, you know, whatever. You just have other people around. I have a bit of a tribe, you know, yeah. my team within work is a bit of a tribe. And I realized when I had that, what a relief it was to not have to, con you know, be my own motivator all the time, yeah. even in the midst of hardship, because I tell you, my kids don't motivate, you know, they're not <laughs> telling me, thanks, mom, very much. Great dinner today, Great mom. Great dinner today, mom. No, it's more like, yuck, I don't like the way you made that rice. So, and he really felt that. He was like, oh my God, you know, he, I kind of put words to his, what he had been experiencing, you know, yeah. being alone. Um, one of these interview subjects... Most said that community was something they missed, and mm -hmm. many reported fond memories of communal aspect of their childhood religions. Um, one of them said, I don't tend to like uniformity of practice. Oh my gosh, that's a huge, huge part of why I know people don't come to church. Yeah, they, they want to feel in, like an individual. Yeah, and it's it can be rote and boring, mm -hmm. that's a part. And belief, so he says, I don't tend to like uniformity of practice and belief because that gets a bit culty to me. Right. I hear that a lot, that it seems like a cult. cult. Yeah. And you get that a lot around here. You know, non-religious areas, it's like, mm -hmm. they don't, they think, well, what's the difference between what you do and, and a cult? And mm -hmm. we actually have a podcast. We do have now. a podcast about that. Listen to it. Episode um, 11. Uh, he says, it often means people stop asking questions in, in these religions. And that's mm -hmm. why I'm shy of organized spiritual community. 
but I do sometimes long for more people to share things with. So it's a good question of like, if that's the case, and these people are all kind of finding their own way, most are tied to some form of childhood religion, mm -hmm. it's not for them anymore, how do, what's the bridge there, mm -hmm. you know, how do you bridge that gap and make it be spiritual and not just an activity? It's interesting because a lot of the problems or the issues he seemed to have, that there weren't enough questions, that there was a uniformity of belief, that there was a uniformity of practice, I don't know if that's accurate. In fact, I think it's inaccurate. But it's not reflected in how we're projecting our, our faith life into the world. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. see a lot of churches authentically projecting we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. No, it's like we have the answers. Yeah. Show up here and we'll tell you what to do. And right? yet I walk through these halls and I see people, you know, a hundred people with a hundred different distinct belief sets. I see people, mm. I see doubt constantly. Mm. And that's encouraged and it flourishes and it means that you are thinking about your religion, you're thinking about your spirituality, you're thinking about theology. And yet we how can we how can we show people that that's who we are? We are not people with all the answers. We have we changed like your name to questions. the Church of Doubt. The Church our Our Lady of Perpetual Doubt. doubt. <laughs> that's awesome. And our Lady of Perpetual Doubt. I, I it would be interesting to be like Nick. There's no perfect people here. We do not have all the answers, but we're willing to question stuff with you. We, oh my yeah. God, that's hilarious! I want to make my podcast that now. Let's change the name. <laughs> our Lady of Perpetual, Perpetual Doubt. doubt. <laughs> Well, listeners, we've been chatting here. Tell us what you think about your spiritual, mm -hmm. non-religious thoughts. Um, maybe you guys have had a journey of some kind you want to tell us about. I can tell you that there are people who um, have come to this church, many, many who have been mm -hmm. in this situation, including myself. But I was that person who, um, like I said, was just towing in different places and being like, you know, is this where I belong? You know, are you my mother? <laughs> are you my mother? <laughs> And I was fine for a long time, I mean, but I had that same thing. I was like, there was something driving me, and I didn't know it at the time, but driving me towards community mm -hmm. more and more. And believe me, I don't come to church here every Sunday. I mm -hmm. don't. <laughs> and But there's just something about, and whether it's this place or some other place for mm -hmm. you, there's something about just trying out communities and seeing if they can fulfill that portion for you. And no community is going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I haven't had perfect experiences here either. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've run into things where I'm like, yeah, that was really not cool. Mm -hmm. Or I don't really fit here. It doesn't feel like the right coat size or something. But there, there's enough of it to make me feel like coming back and the our, you know, the lady of perpetual doubt. Um <laughs> And the theology is what keeps driving me back to this particular church. And maybe you have found a different one or you have some experience that you want to share with us. So let us know mm -hmm. at challengingchristianitypodcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.